pleasure or approval, recognition. But you treasure something. And whatever you treasure will control you. That's why Jesus says in verse 35, the the person with a good treasure, it's going to bring forth good. And and the person with an evil treasure is going to bring forth evil. Think about Smeagol. No matter how hard Smeagol tries to be good to Frodo and Sam, it doesn't last. The problem for Smeagol is that he treasures something, his precious, the one ring. He treasures it, and that ring, no matter how powerful it is, it is not strong enough to carry the weight of his affections. So too, with everything in this life that you and I treasure that's smaller than Jesus, it can't carry the weight of your affections. And you become, like Gollum, obsessed with the thing that you treasure, and it controls you. In the book of James, James makes it clear, where do fights and quarrels and all this stuff come from? It's because of your desires. You want something, you treasure something, and you don't get it, so you fight. What are you treasuring, friend? What do you talk about the most? That just might be what you treasure. What do you think about when your mind wanders? What do you crave when you're sad or sick or lonely? What are you afraid of? One way to trace your, what your heart treasures is to see what you fear. F- your fears are kind of the, the flip side of your treasures. If you treasure acceptance, you'll be terrified by rejection. If you treasure security, you'll be terrified by anything that makes you feel insecure. What are you afraid of? What do you sacrifice for? Everybody sacrifices. Everybody. Everybody in this room, you made sacrifices today. There was something you could have done instead of being here. You chose to be here. Praise God for that. And every single day, you sacrifice something. What do you sacrifice for? Usually, you are, whatever you treasure most is the thing that you are most willing to sacrifice to keep. You'll give up your time, you'll give up your money, you'll give up your energy to have that thing. That just very well might be your treasure. So, what do you treasure? All hearts have a treasure. Recognizing that is the third step to understanding why our only hope to stand before a holy God is a new heart. Again, maybe you're concerned, and so you decide from here on out, I'm going to treasure the right things. Well, how do you know that you're treasuring the wrong things anyways? How do we know what we really treasure? Maybe I asked all those questions, and you think, well, I... You know, I think I treasure this thing, but maybe I treasure that thing. Well, what's, what's a good way to find out what your heart really treasures? Jesus tells us. And as we get to our fourth truth this morning, all words are mirrors. What's a mirror do? What's it do? See if we're awake. 
It reflects. A mirror shows you you, right? Your words are like mirrors to your soul. They show you you. They're like a treasure map. You follow the treasure map, follow your words, and you will begin to see what it is that your heart treasures. Jesus makes it clear in verse 36 that one of the best ways to tell what somebody treasures is by listening to what they say. Now, before I show it to you, I just want to say one other thing. Jesus is not interested in your carefully curated speech. All of us, if we're honest, we know how to do that, right? Sunday morning, how you doing, brother? I'm blessed. Monday morning, how you doing to a coworker? You don't say, I'm blessed, right? You might say, it works rough, hard to get up this morning, don't want to be here. You know, we know how to carefully curate our words. Jesus is not interested in that. Jesus says, you want to see what your heart treasures? Show me your most unguarded words, and I'll show you what you treasure. Look at verse 36. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Follow Jesus' argument. Why do you have bad fruit? Because you have a bad heart. Why do you have a bad heart? Because you're focusing on bad treasure. How do we know what we're really focusing on? Look at the careless words that you say. That word careless is often translated lazy. Lazy words. These are are throwaway words. The words you say when you're hungry or angry or sad, or not thinking, or under the influence, or unguarded behind a screen. Like the mirror of Erised shows whatever the person wants most, your most careless and unguarded words show you what you treasure most. As I was preparing for this sermon, the Lord convicted me about the way that I had talked with some of my closest friends, especially my wife, Holly. Now, when you hear me up here talking on a Sunday, these are carefully prepared, studied words. They should be. Should be. Shouldn't walk up here and just, whatever the Lord tells me to say, I'm going to say that. No, I should study and prepare and tell you after I've studied. My most guarded words probably are here, with good reason, I think. My most unguarded words, also with good reason, are with my wife. I love her. She's committed to me. I'm committed to her. I can be myself with her. And and occasionally, Holly will hear unguarded words. Some particular challenge in my life, some particular frustration. And as I talk about that with her, she'll sometimes hear, angry words, bitter words, unkind words, not towards her, but towards the people or the things that frustrate me. Now, in that moment, there's two things that I can do. One option, men are particularly good at this, 
just stuff those feelings down a little bit deeper so they never come out again. Some of you are like, oh yeah, I'm really good at that. That's one option. The other option is to look in the painful mirror of my words and ask God to show me what it reveals about my heart. I'm going to invite you, dear friend, brother, sister, friend, would you take that second option? Think over your most unguarded words last week, your lazy words, and ask the Lord to show you, what does this reveal about my heart? Where is your speech most unguarded? How do you speak in your most unguarded moments? What do your words say about your heart? Let me suggest a challenge for the Christians in this room this week. Ask your closest friend, what do my words show you about my heart? And then, don't fight back when they answer you. What do my words show about my heart? Recognizing that all our words are mirrors is the fourth step to understanding why our only hope to stand before God is a new heart. Again, maybe you hear this and you say, well, I'm going to try harder to say the right things from now on. How long are you going to keep that up? How long until you slip and fall again? And by the way, even if starting today, let's just imagine that starting today, someone in this room never said a careless word again. If you've already said them, it's already too late. Because truth number five says that all fruit will be judged. All fruit will be judged. Look at verse 36 again. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for what? Every careless word they speak. Last August... I was summoned to York General District Court to give an account before the Honorable Judge Stephen Hudgens about an incident a few months prior when I was caught with a cell phone in my hand while driving. Thankfully, the judge did not ask me to give an account for every time I drove with a cell phone in my hand, only just the one. In the Human courts, usually that's the way it works. One offense, give an account for that. But not so in the court of divine justice. Hear me, brother, sister, friend. There is coming a day when you will stand before a holy judge and you will give an account for every careless word. Every angry word when someone cuts you off on the highway. Every typed word and a heated text message exchange. Every word of gossip whispered to a friend. Every comment on every social media platform. Every bitter word spoken about a person who's hurt you. 
every lie, every complaint, every boast, every insult, every profanity, every flattery, every word that tears down instead of builds up. You and I will stand before a holy judge and give an account. Why? Verse 37, Jesus says, For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. By your words you will be justified. What does that mean? The Protestant reformers opposed the Roman Catholic, Catholic Church's teaching of justification by works because they rightly understood that Paul in the New Testament taught that we are justified by faith alone. That's a standard, essential Protestant belief. We are justified by faith alone. We are not saved by our works. We're not justified by works. Is Jesus here teaching that we're justified by words? The answer is found when you understand that the word justified in the New Testament has two different meanings. When Paul uses the word, he means declared righteous. God looks at you and justifies you. He declares you to be righteous, not because you are practically righteous, but because your faith is in Christ. If you're in this room and you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope that this is weighing on you a little bit. This is a weighty text with weighty condemnation. You can't turn over a new leaf and fix this. Someone must stand in your place. And that's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. He died a sinner's death and rose from the dead so that if you believe in Him, God looks at you and He says, righteous, not because you are righteous, but because you're in Christ. That's the way Paul uses the word justified. He uses it to refer to righteousness declared. But James and Jesus use the word justified to refer to righteousness demonstrated. In other words, you show practically that you have righteousness, you demonstrate it, you display it by your works. You don't earn it by your works, you respond to it with your works and with your words. So here's what Jesus is saying, on Judgment Day, your words are like the spiritual EKG that reveal the state of your heart. What will the fruit of your life reveal on Judgment Day? What will it show? This is the fifth step. Recognizing all our fruit will be judged is the fifth step to understanding why our only hope to stand before God is a new heart. Uh, according to a uh, 2007 study, the average person speaks about 16,000 words a day. If you added the words that you text or type for most of us, it would be much higher. Even give, giving an account for one day is a sobering thought. Jesus says, you're going to spread that out over your whole lifetime. That's staggering. So what hope do any of us have to stand before a holy God? Truth number six, all we need 
is the gospel. All we need is the gospel. The word gospel literally means good news. It's your only hope to stand before a holy God. The word gospel is often summarized, the message of the gospel is often summarized by four truths that I think are clearly seen in our text this morning. Truth about God, the truth about man, the truth about Christ, and the truth about how we respond. So let's just walk through those together. The truth about God. Verses 33 to 37 make it clear that God is a holy judge. Everybody's going to give an account to Him. Now, that's a sobering, weighty truth, especially when you look at the truth, of, of the truth about man, that we're sinful. You see this sinfulness quite clearly beginning in verse 38. After Jesus says all of this stuff about the heart, about our words, notice how the Pharisees respond. Some of the scribes and Pharisees answered Him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Jesus says, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. Why does He say that? Because the Pharisees and the scribes had already seen plenty. They had seen Jesus perform miracle after miracle after miracle. Why did they still reject Jesus? Because that's what the human heart does. Listen to Romans chapter 3, verse 10. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they've become worthless, no one does good, not even one. Your heart is hardwired to reject Jesus. Why? Because you love your sin. You love you. You love living how you want and doing what you want. I do too. That's how we're hardwired. So we need help. If this is where the story ends, then all of us are doomed. But the message of the gospel goes from the story of God, the, the truth about man, to the truth about Christ, about Jesus. Look at verse 39. Look at what Jesus says about Himself. Middle of the verse, verse 39, no sign will be given to this generation except the sign of the prophet Jonah. You remember the story of Jonah, sent to go to Nineveh. He says, I'm going to go the opposite way. God sends a storm. God sends a whale or a great fish, swallows up Jonah. He spit back out and Nineveh preaches. That's the end of the story. Jesus says, here's the sign you're going to get. Just like Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Here's what Jesus is saying. Listen, I'm not here to do magic tricks. Let me tell you why I'm here. I came to this earth. Jesus came to this earth to live a sinless life to die a sinner's death on a cross, to be buried in the ground in a borrowed tomb for three days and then to rise from the dead so that whoever believes in Him can have eternal life. That's the sign that Jesus gives. Christian, is your faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus that's what matters. Where's your faith, Christian? Is it in you? Is it in trying hard enough? Is it in turning over a new leaf? Is it in a better 2023? Where's your faith? If it's in Jesus, 
You have hope on Judgment Day. If your faith is in anything else, there is no hope. By the way, just a, a practical application for the Christians in this room. As you seek to win your unbelieving friends and neighbors and family members to Jesus, you can read all kinds of apologetic books. You can learn all sorts of tools. That might be helpful. Here's what you need to do. Keep pointing them to Jesus. That's what they need. Keep showing them the cross and the empty tomb. Keep directing them there, and God will use that sign, the sign of Jonah, the sign of a crucified and resurrected Savior to draw them to Himself. Have you, or how have you responded to the death and resurrection of Jesus? Maybe your question is, well, how am I supposed to respond? Jesus tells us in verses 41 to 42, shows us how to respond. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Jesus gives two illustrations. In the book of Jonah, the Ninevites repented when they heard Jonah's preaching. Jesus says, I'm greater than Jonah. If the Ninevites re repented, turned from their sins when Jonah preached, then you should turn from your sins when you see me. How do you respond to Jesus? Turn from your sins. Repent. Admit that you can't stand before a holy God. Confess your sin and run to Jesus. The second illustration is from 2 Chronicles chapter 9. There we read the story of the queen of Sheba who hears about Solomon's great wisdom and she goes to see for herself. And Jesus says, I'm greater than Solomon. If the queen came to Solomon, then shouldn't you come to me? If someone greater than Solomon is here and the queen was willing to leave what she had to see Solomon, then shouldn't you be willing to leave all that you have to come to me? So have you come to Jesus in faith? Put your trust in Him, not in your works, not in your church attendance, not in good words, but in Jesus. When you do that, friend, what you receive is a new heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If your faith is in Jesus, you've been given a new heart. Now, this doesn't mean that you no longer speak the wrong words. This doesn't mean you no longer treasure the wrong things. But it does mean a change has begun. In his book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, C.S. Lewis begins by saying, there once was a boy named Eustace Clarence Stubb, Scrub, and he almost deserved it. What a horrible name. And Eustace is a horrible beast of a child throughout the book, so much so, in fact, that he literally becomes a beast in the story until he meets Aslan a lion who represents Jesus. And after that meeting, C.S. Lewis writes, 
it would be nice and fairly nearly true to say that from that time forth, Eustace was a different boy. To be strictly accurate, he began to be a different boy. He had relapses. There were still many days when Eustace could be very tiresome, but the cure had begun. Christian, the cure has begun in your life. Your words won't always reflect what God has done when He's given you a new heart. But as you grow, you will increasingly speak the way that Jesus calls you to speak. Has the cure begun in you? If it has, it's only by the work of Jesus. So confess your sinful words, confess your silly treasures, then receive bread and cup in a moment with joy. And if the cure hasn't begun in your life, it can today simply by turning from your sins and trusting in Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me? We'll pray. The parents are going to get their kiddos from the kids' ministry, and then we'll take the Lord's Supper together after we sing. Father, thank you so much for the gift of your precious Son. Thank you, Jesus, that you lived a sinless life that you died a sinner's death, that you never spoke a careless word, and that we can stand before a holy God not on the basis of what we've said or left unsaid, but on the basis of what Jesus has done in our place. Father, if there's any that have not yet put their faith in this Jesus, may they do it right now. And if there's any in this room that are your people, Comfort us with the hope that we have in the gospel. It's all that we need. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Just stand as we sing together.